So one of my tasks as a pastor is to make sure we don't forget where we came from. And often when you read in the Old Testament, God himself is reminding the people of Israel that he was the one who delivered them from slavery in Egypt. So I want to spend some time this morning reminding us just in the last year, okay, when I say 2020, you're like, don't go there. (laughs) But I want to remind us as the church, as the people of God, where we came through what we came through in the year 2020. So I remember in early January, I remember it was my, actually my son Kyle's birthday. We're sitting there watching the news that morning. The kids are eating breakfast, getting ready for school. And I, for the very first time, hear the words COVID-19. I had never heard COVID-19. I had heard coronavirus, but I had never heard COVID-19. So it didn't seem like a big deal to me. It just seemed like the swine flu or any other epidemic that, uh, that you know, you could just kind of write off and it's like, ah, it's just the worst case of the flu. But things changed very quickly come the spring. So here's a timeline, okay, my own timeline. So March 1st, we're sitting in my living room of 2020 with a core group of people who are ready to, to, to plant Redeemer Borger, okay? We're sitting in my living room worshiping together and singing together and, and sharing God's word. And then March 15th comes, okay? President Donald Trump comes up on the TV and he says, we need to social distance for two weeks to what? Flatten the curve, okay? You remember those words? We got to flatten the curve, okay? And then two weeks turned into a month. And then it turned into school being shut down, businesses being closed. And I remember with going with Callie early in the mornings, my wife, I remember going to Walmart early in the mornings and people were walking around with masks on and some people had full, you know, the full suit on, you know, and they're like staying away from you, like trying not, you know, don't touch me, don't look at me, because if you look at me, surely you're going to give me COVID-19, okay? So I remember those, those, those moments, they were harrowing. We would sit outside Walmart, kind of sit in line, and they would let people in little by little. And, uh, and, and it, was just, it was just a very, it was a weird time in our lives, okay? So, and then early April rolls around in Hutchison County, and we have case number one. And everybody's like, like high alert, okay? Like case number one, who was it? Was it someone that came over to my house earlier? Who was it? Is it one of my kids? What is it, okay? But if we kept only the pandemic in perspective and not all of what 2020 had in store, and here's a quick and non-extensive timeline, okay? First, you got the Australian bushfires. You remember those? Early 2020, okay? And then, God forbid, Prince Harry and the wife and his wife, they quit the royal family. I mean, God forbid, okay? Kobe Bryant and his daughter die in a helicopter crash, which was sad. Um, The impeachment of of President Trump, one of the impeachments, okay? The stock market crashes. There's riots and protests over the death of George Floyd all over the country. And then the murder hornets. You remember hearing about the murder hornets? Okay. We saw these pictures and they're like, surely these murder hornets are carrying COVID-19 with them and they're going to come and sting us to death and give us COVID-19. Okay. (laughs) And then the wildfires on the West Coast. You remember that? Okay. So this would be the craziest year and even spilling over into 2021 was a crazy year for us. But here's what unfolded 
in the year 2020. It was a revealing of many who are the true church and many who are not. It begged the question of our society, is the church essential? Is the church essential? Or is it something we can do without, or maybe we can just watch online and feel like we attended? Now, I'm not taking anything away from any churches that do anything online. We chose from the very beginning to not do anything online other than post our sermon, okay? But there are churches who just went strictly to online and are still only doing online, okay? Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. We were there last week. Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to read a few verses for you. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he, being Jesus, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, do you see that capital D? Day, the day of Jesus Christ drawing near. So it bears, this text bears the question for us, is the church important? Is the church important? Okay, and look at me for just a minute. It would be naive of me to think that just talking about church doesn't conjure up some kind of pain that's connected to being a part of a church, okay? Many of us have been hurt by the church, used by the church, and even, look at me, we've even been abused by the church, okay? So, your pain is real, and it is not discounted here, okay? I want you to know that, that if you experience pain because of a church, we're not discounting your pain here. We're saying your pain is real, and it matters to God, and it matters to us. Okay, so for the above mentioned reason, for the, for the pain that you might feel, that you and I might feel, I want to take some time and describe and clearly define what a biblical church looks like. Last week we talked about what is a church, but I want to get more specific and talk about what is a biblical church, not only in 2021, but for all time, Okay. And let's continually be reminded that the mission of the church has not changed since the institution of it in the book of Acts. We are called to love and glorify God, love and engage our neighbors with the gospel, and make disciples of those same people God calls us to. Turn to Acts 17, if you would, and it should be up on the screen for you. Acts 17, verse 26. And he, being God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Look at me. God has placed you where he has placed you for a specific reason. Whether you live in Fritch or in Borger or in Panhandle, or in Stinnett, wherever it is, God has placed you where he has placed you for a specific reason. And that reason is to love and glorify him and further the mission that he has placed you on. Okay? Because just like me, I'm sure some of us think, 
God, is it, why do you have me here? Like, my neighbors are crazy. Uh, they're partying all the time. You know, there's just outright madness on my street. But God says, I've placed you where I've placed you for a reason and for a season. Because that's who I am. That's what God says. Okay? So, what is a biblical church? Last week we looked at what is a church. But what is a biblical church? Or what, if you were, if you left Redeemer, okay, and you, you, let's say you moved to another town, and you were looking for, what should I, what should I know about a church that I'm looking for, okay? So number one, and you don't have to turn to all these texts. If you want to write them down and you can look at them later, that's totally up to you, okay? A biblical church preaches and teaches the whole counsel of God, okay? They don't skip over hard parts, okay? They don't skip over election, or they don't skip over predestination, or they don't skip over hell, or heaven, or anything like that, or the atonement. They don't skip over those things because a biblical church preaches the whole counsel of God. That's what we're committed to here at Redeemer. We get those ideas from 2 Timothy 2.15 and chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Secondly, a biblical church is biblically confessional, openly confessing key biblical doctrines and sound theology. Okay, this, is, this comes from Titus chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Okay, so a biblical church biblically confesses sound doctrine. Okay, if you ever hear sound or not sound doctrine or wonky theology come from the pulpit, fire me. Fire me, because I don't deserve to stand up at this pulpit and not preach the true gospel and the Bible, okay? So, thirdly, a biblical church is gospel-centered, okay? Clearly proclaims the good news and offers it to sinners anytime they meet publicly. And guess when sinners meet? Every Sunday, okay? Anytime we're here, we're sinners meeting with the people of God, okay? Okay, so we get this from Romans 1.16 and 1 Corinthians 15.3. And also this church offers training for its people to clearly proclaim the good news of the gospel, okay? Some of those opportunities are going to be coming for us soon, okay, on either Sunday mornings or on Saturday mornings or something where we train you to preach the gospel and engage your neighbors with the gospel, okay? Fourthly, a biblical understanding of conversion. This is huge here. How do I know someone's a Christian? By the fruit in their lives. Oh, that's hard. That's hard because it's the truth. So there is a biblical understanding of conversion, okay? That we are constantly, there's ongoing repentance in this person's life. Because they know they're a sinner. First John says that if you say you are without sin, you are a liar. We constantly need to be repenting of sin. Okay? We're warring on sin. There's a, there's a fight for godliness. We get this from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, and Acts eleven eighteen and 20, 21. Fifthly, a biblical church offers membership or partnership. Okay, this is important. Is a committed relationship with the local church, faithful to this body with their time, treasure, and talents. 
okay? We get this out of the text we just read, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and Ephesians 4, 11 through 29. Sixthly, a biblical view of a church offers discipline and discipleship, okay? What is discipline? You're like, you're going to spank us? No. But here's what we are going to do. As committed partners of Redeemer, okay, when you go through our partnership class and we say, yes, let's do it, let's, let's partner together and go on, if we find that you are in constant, unrepentant sin, guess what we lovingly do as the leadership of the church? Come alongside you and show you that you're in sin. That's the most loving thing we could do. That's what church discipline is called. That we would show up to your house, knock on your door and be like, we love you, let's sit down, let's talk, let's talk about repentance, let's talk about sin, because we love you. Church discipline. They practice church discipline and discipleship, okay? Uh, we get these from Matthew 18, 15 through 20, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11, Romans 15, 14, and Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Okay, if you heard me, I, talk, I said Matthew 18, and there's so many people that use this text, and they say, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be also. Jesus is talking about church discipline. He's like, guess what? When someone needs to be called back from sin, I'm going to be there with you because I lovingly want to lead you as the chief shepherd. Okay? And lastly, a biblical church has biblical church leadership. A church is led by qualified men and structured according to what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 and Titus 1, 5 through 11. So this is why our core values are in the order that they are in and they're important. The Bible tells us what we need to know about the, the gospel and both the Bible and the gospel tell us what we need to know about how to care for each other. Pretty simple, isn't it? The Bible, the gospel, and the body are our core values. They each give us clarity on how we treat one another. Okay? So a biblical church, and I want you to hear this. A biblical church is not a perfect church. A biblical church is not a perfect church. Because guess what? When the worship team got here this morning, guess what they did? They showed up with their sin. And when the pastor showed up this morning, guess what I did? I showed up with my sin. And when you showed up this morning, you showed up with your sin. So the church can't be perfect anymore because sinners are here and we need saving from our sin. Correct? Okay? So there's no such thing as a perfect church. Charles Spurgeon said it himself. There can't be a perfect church because when I show up, I ruin it all. Okay? But there can be such a thing as a healthy church a biblical church, one who strives to live honestly with one another and to love each other well and to lead each other well, okay? So I said this earlier that I never want to negate the fact that people get hurt by churches. They get abused by churches. They get used by churches. This is a serious matter. Even healthy churches, even those churches that are aiming to be healthy, still hurt people. They still hurt people, and it's a real thing. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. 
starting in verse 25. I'm going to read quite a bit here. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his what? His body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Go back to verse 27. So that he, being Christ, might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Okay, if you are in a married relationship here, at, here with us, okay, you did not stand at the altar and think that that person was never going to sin against you, okay? If you did, you're naive, okay, and you're crazy. That person probably later on, okay, that day sinned against you somehow, okay? So, what, what Paul is saying here in Ephesians, he's saying that uh, we need to have grace with the church, we need to have grace with one another. Why? Because he, Christ is going to come and collect his church, and guess what? She's still going to be dirty. And guess what he needs to do? He has to wash her with the water of the word. He has to wash her with the water of the word and present her blameless before himself. So there is still an ongoing process, even for the people sitting next to you, that God has to take them through a process called sanctification, okay? Because why? Because if you're a sinner, you continue to sin, and you need forgiveness of your sin. So Paul's words bear great weight on this, that Christ himself is the perfect husband and will perfect his church one day. He gave himself for her, he will wash her with the water of his word, present her blameless to God on his merit alone and unite himself to her in marriage for eternity. So I want to end with this question. I'm going to say it once, Nick. I'm going to end with this question. Is the church important? God's plan from the very beginning has been to save a people for himself, for his glory. We believe in a sovereign God who wills and decrees things into existence and has a specific purpose in everything that happens. Look at Psalm 115. Psalm 115, if you don't have this circled, circle it in your Bible. Psalm 115, verse 3. It says, our God is in the heavens and he does all that his people ask him to. Is that what it says? It's, he does all that he pleases. 
So if we believe in a good God, we believe that he has good purposes in everything that he does. Amen? Our God sits in the heavens and does all that he pleases. He is the creator. We are the created. We answer to God. God does not answer to us. God does not need to explain himself to you. So the more we spend time in the book of Acts and also in the letters written to the churches in the New, Test- in the New Testament, excuse me, we do not see things working in the church's favor. In fact, it is a difficult life for the church. But because we believe the Bible is true and our God is sovereign, it is God who, himself who decreed the pain and suffering the church would experience at her institution. Did you hear that clearly? God himself decreed the pain and suffering that the church would would experience at the very birth of the church. Why? Because God is some, some mean bully who sits in the sky and bullies people around? No, absolutely not, because there is a refining that needs to take place at the hands of God himself to show who the true church is. Are you following me? You see where we're going? You see where we're going with what happened in 2020? So if the persecution and the ravaging of the church did not stop the church from growing in the book of Acts, neither will what happened in 2020 or in 2021 or in 2022 or many years to come. Things could be getting worse for the church. Things are getting worse for the church in Canada, for our brothers and sisters in Canada. They are closing churches down, showing up to their worship services and closing the worship services down. Why? Because what you're preaching isn't, you're not being tolerant to everybody. But I'm preaching the Bible. The Bible isn't tolerant. The Bible is not tolerant to sin. Why? Because God is holy and he demands holiness. How else can we produce holiness on our own? We can't. That's why we need Christ Jesus. That is the good news of the gospel. We cannot produce righteousness on our own. So Jesus comes and produces it for us in his perfect life, in his death, in his resurrection, and his ascension. That is good news. Even if you've heard it a thousand times, even if you've heard it every Sunday when you come to Redeemer, it's still good news today. So I want to pose a question that 2020 asked for us. Is the church essential? The Bible says yes. Turn to our text, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. And listen, listen to how Paul begins to worship in this text. He, he starts to worship Jesus, Christ the Lord in this text. Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the what? The body. 
the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, he's speaking to us here too, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If the God-man, the second person of the Trinity, equal with God in attributes and power, would humble himself and give his life on a Roman cross for his church, let me ask you this. Is she worth fighting for? Is she worth living and loving and committing to? Is she worth giving to? Is she worth praying for? Is she worth submitting to? Is she worth being transparent with and being the first place you go and ordering your life around her? Listen to the words of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon being a Baptist preacher back in the, in the 1800s, He says, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. Oof. That hurts. The church has so little influence over the world because the world has so much influence over her. We need, we need to remind ourselves that when we become a part of this family, this is it. This is it. But you're, Ricky, I've got, I've got a wife, I've got kids, I've got parents, I've got, yes, you do. But are we ordering our lives around the body of Christ? Is this important to us? Is gospel community important? Are the trainings that we put on here at Redeemer important to us? Are they important? Are we ordering our lives and our hearts and our minds around what happens here at the body of Christ? I asked you this last Sunday. The people that you are with at work or on a Friday night or on a Saturday night, whoever it is, are they, are they spurring you on to godliness? Are they spurring you on to godliness? Or are they pulling you back into the ways of the world? And it could be subtle. And let me tell you this, church, you do not drift into godliness. You drift into worldliness. And because I love you, I have to tell you that. And because you love me, you have to tell me that too as your pastor. Ricky, you don't drift into godliness. That's why you, as the church, my family, that's why you need my relationship with Christ. The most important thing I could do for the church, the most loving thing I could do for the church is to get up every morning and bow on my knees before God and spend time in the word, tears coming down my face, and in the evening journaling a prayer for the church and for my family and for, for, for this body. That's the most important thing I could do as a pastor is to bow before God and say, God, I need you. I need you to lead this church because I can't do it. 
I need your help in every moment, in everything that we do. So I end every Sunday with this, that I want to invite you in to this. If you are not in Christ, the invitation is open to you this morning. Here in just a moment, when we worship, we're going to sing a few more songs. I'm going to be standing back at the back of the room. If you need counsel, if you need prayer, if you want to know what it's, what it's like to, to, to submit yourself to the Lord Jesus and repent of your sin, I'll, I'll be right in the back of the room. I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love to pray with you. But if you are already in Christ, my plea is just like last Sunday, is to give yourself to this. This is what we were made to do. This is what we were made to be a part of. To be God's people with God's people. Church, there, and, I, and this is not, I'm by no means a prophet, okay? Little P prophet. Here's what I'm going to say. There could be a persecution coming to the church in America. And where are we going to run? Where are we going to run? Are you going to run into the arms of the world? Are you going to run into the arms of fear and anxiety in those things? Are you going to run into the safe place, which is the church, the body of Christ? The choice is yours. This is what we were made for to love and glorify God and engage our neighbors with the gospel and to continue the mission of the church that God has put us on. So I want to invite you into this this morning. Let's pray.